Right. Did you press record this time? I did. Excellent. Shut up. Well, the one time I forgot. Look, if you all weren't here to hear the last of last week's episode, I don't know how much Roy is going to leave in about that, but she definitely... Well, oh, she can't no. leave it in because she didn't record it. Yeah. I was like, well, now I'm going to have to leave it in because we're bringing it up. Well, <sighs> no, I just you just started the, the last one with, yes, I am recording. <laughs> yeah, I am a big stupid dummy that's tired and kind of a little tiny bit hungover. She smoked it and drank it too much. I did. I'm so tired. Anyway. Welcome to The Strange and Unusual, where we discuss The Strange and Unusual. This is episode 119 of our series, seeking out the weird, the unexplained, and the devious from around the world. I'm Roya. And I'm Casey. And this is the exciting conclusion and unexpected part two to last week's cliffhanger, Wolves in Sheep's Clothing. If you'd like, you can find us over on various social media platforms. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash strangeunusual. All that information will be at the end of the episode as well as in the show notes if you want to look us up and give us some interaction. We'd really appreciate it. We would. Tell us your favorite Bill and Ted. (laughs) If you haven't seen Bill and Ted, go watch Bill and Ted and then tell us your favorite Bill and Ted. At the very least, the first one, because it is so choice. The first, the first one is much better. I didn't watch the third one, the no? most recent one. I haven't watched that one yet. I, yeah. Anyway, Mother it's Teresa, crazy, right? It's crazy how much the, the chess game with death is parodied for how yeah. little people actually talk about like the second Bill and Ted movie. <laughs> Yeah, and now I know what I'm going to watch tonight while I'm sitting in my hotel room. (laughs) (laughs) Mother Teresa, let's do it. What a bitch. (laughs) Charlie Chaplin was also a bitch, but this week we're talking about a a whole new bitch. A whole different bitch. A whole different kind of bitch. Yes. Mother Teresa was the Regina George of nuns. (laughs) If Regina George insisted on other... I guess she did insist on other people suffering so she could succeed. So that's fair. She... Is she was not sadly. <laughs> Do not trust her. <laughs> I I doubt she ever suggested anyone had sex or made out with a hot dog. Wonder if she did car commercials in, in Japan. Japan. Probably wouldn't surprise me. Let's go. But did she ever make fun of someone for having a heavy flow on a wide set vagina? <laughs> Probably. That's where I'm ending it. <laughs> I'm stopping. <laughs> Wee woos. Catholics. No oh. racism. Yep. Uh, religious abuse? Question mark. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a different way to fa- phrase that. You'll find out. Uh, and mistreatment of the sick. All right. Um, I apologize for the absolute butchering of her original name, but here we go. Anhazi Gonhi Bohahyo was born on August 26, 1910, in Sko- Skopje, the now capital of North Macedonia. Oh, okay. I never knew where she was from. Yeah. Um. So she's actually like a product of the, not dissimilar to me and my family, a product of the Ottoman Empire, Um. has a wide variety of roots Um. within her bloodline. But the day after her birth, she was baptized and that day was treated as her actual birthday. Okay. She was the youngest child of her Kosovar Albanian family. And she became fascinated by stories of missionaries and at age 12 decided to commit herself to a religious life. 
Um, unfortunately, in 1919, she experienced the passing of her father. And in 1928, she left home to join the Sisters of Laredo at the Laredo Abbey in Rathfarnham, Ireland. Um, there she learned English with the intent to become a missionary. After her move to Ireland, she never saw her mother or sister again. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, they, they basically moved to another area and their lives just completely diverted path. In 1929, she arrived in India, which is where her missionary work began. She started out in Darjeeling in the lower Himalayas, where she learned Bengali and taught at a school near her convent. On May 24, 1931, she took her first religious vows and chose to be named after the patron uh, patron saint of missionaries, Therese de Lisseau. I don't know. <laughs> French name. <laughs> Ends in an X. Due to another nun in the convent already having that name, oh. she went with the Spanish spelling of the name Teresa. Um, in May of 1937, she took her solemn vows while working as a teacher at the Laredo Co- Convent School in Calcutta. Um, being called a mother is a like formal name in the custom in Laredo. So like if you have an adult woman in your life that's like an authority figure, they're like mother first name. So that's where Mother Teresa began. Okay. Um, she served there for nearly 20 years and was appointed headmistress in 1944. While she enjoyed teaching, she couldn't help but notice the poverty surrounding her in Calcutta. And then the Bengal famine of 1943 brought misery and death to the city. Um, in 1946, a period of violence between Muslims and Hindus began. And on a trip to Darjeeling in 1946, she felt that she heard her calling. And in some things that I've read, she felt that she actually spoke to God. And, like, it was an actual calling, not a, like, like a Joan of Arc calling. Not a, like, decision she decided to make sort of situation. Gotcha. To serve the poor of India. She asked permission to leave the school, and in 1950, she founded the Missionaries of Charity. Choosing a white sari with blue borders for the order's habit, the look that she would become famous for wearing. Mm-hmm. I just wondered where that came from. Yeah, she adopt. Yeah, I guess they got to pick like That's the cool. habits, <laughs> and that that kind of explains like looking into it, like why some uh, convents have like the very formal habits, and why some have like a more casual appearance. Um, and like, I know, I know from watching Sister Act <laughs> that, um, like some convents have a different, uh, habit if you are like, you haven't taken your vows, but you're part of the convent mm-hmm. versus if you have taken your vows and then you wear like the full habit. Yep. Um, so she adopted Indian citizenship and started to train in basic medicine at the Holy Family Hospital and went, then went into the slums. She founded a school in Calcutta where she began to help the poor and the hungry. She worked hard and did with very little, even compared to life in a convent. There was no, no income and she begged for food and supplies and dealt with the temptation of returning to, convent, to the convent life early on. Just remembering how it was to, you know, have an actual bed and to have, you know, modern amenities and have not have to wonder where your meals were going to come from and things like that. Right. Um, the Vatican officially gave permission to her on October 7th, 1950, to have the congregation created. According to Teresa, quote, the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the crippled, the blind, the lepers, all those people who feel unwanted, 
unloved, uncared for throughout society. People that have become a burden to the society and are shunned by everyone. Those were the kinds of people she wanted to come to her care, basically. It sounds so noble. <laughs> and I, it's one of those things where I think the intention initially was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that money got involved. We'll get into it. In 1952, she opened her first hospice in Calcutta, and it was in an abandoned Hindu temple that she converted into the Kalgahat home of the dying, or for the dying. It was free for the poor, and those that were brought to it received medical care and the opportunity to die with dignity in accordance to their faith. The Muslims were read the Quran, Hindus received water from the Ganges, and Catholics received their last rites. According to Teresa, quote, a beautiful death is for people who lived like animals to die like angels, loved and wanted. And let's just say comparing people to animals may be important. Oh, dear. Okay. She went on to open a hospice for those with leprosy and establish leprosy outreach clinics all throughout Calcutta. So, call back. Yep. (laughs) Um, in 1955, the Missionaries of Charity took in an increasing number of children that were homeless um, or orphaned and opened the Nirmala Shishu Bahavan, Bahavan? Um, the children's home of the Immaculate Heart, to care for these youths. With all this work, the congregation began to attract attention in the way of recruits and donations. By the 60s, they had opened hospices, orphans, and leper houses all throughout India and had begun to expand internationally. She she opened opened a house in Venezuela in 1965 that was ran by five sisters. Then houses opened in Rome, Tanzania, and Austria in 1968. Then by the 1970s, they opened houses and foundations in the U.S. and dozens in other countries in Asia, Africa, and Europe. Throughout the 60s and 70s, additional branches of the Missionaries of Charity were founded from monks to priests to regular Catholics and even non-Catholics, all wanting to help and dedicate their time to helping those less fortunate. Oh, wow. By 19... Well, everybody's working together. (laughs) By 1997, what started out as a 13-member congregation in Calcutta had grown to more than 4,000 sisters who managed orphanages, AIDS hospices, AIDS-related charities worldwide, caring for refugees, the disabled, the aged, alcoholics, victims of natural disasters, epidemics, and famine. Um, While she was visiting the... While she was visiting Rome in 1983, she suffered a heart attack while visiting with the Pope. After her second heart attack happened in 1989, she received a pacemaker. In 1991, she caught pneumonia and continued to cause further heart problems for her. Mm. She offered to resign as the head of the Missionaries of Charity, but there was a secret ballot conducted to vote on if she should resign or not, and the sisters voted for her to stay on. Later in 1996, she fell and broke her collarbone. Um, Then four months later, she had malaria and heart failure. Mm-hmm. She went through heart surgery, but her heart and health were clearly declining. With her permission, an exorcism was performed on her because they thought that she was under attack by the devil. Oh, well, of course. Who else could it be? He's, you know, he he decided to stop messing with the kids playing D&D in the United States and <laughs> specifically just attack Mother Teresa. In March of 1997, she officially resigned as the head of Missionaries of Charity, and she would die on the 5th of September that same year. At the time of her death, the organization had over 4,000 sisters, 
300 brothers and operated 610 missions in 123 countries. She was laid to rest in an open casket at St. Thomas, Calcutta for a week before her funeral. She received a state funeral from India as gratitude for her service to the poor of all religions in the country. Her last rites were performed by five priests and Cardinal Secretary of State Angelo Sodano, the Pope's representative. Wow. She also won a ton of of awards throughout her life. In 1962, she won the Padma Shri Award in India for Distinguished Service. In 1971, she won the Pope John the 23rd Peace Prize. In 1971, she won the Prize for Good Samaritan Boston. 1971, the Kennedy Prize. Sorry. 1972, the Jawaharlal Nehru uh, <laughs> Award for, for International Understanding. In 1972, the Karuna Dutt, um, Angel of Charity from the President of India. 1973, the Templeton Prize. 1975, the Albert Schweitzer International Prize. In 1977, she won a honorary PhD in theology from Cambridge. In 1979, she won the Nobel Peace Prize. Jesus Christ. In 1982, she got an honorary PhD from the Catholic University in Brussels. In 1985, she got the Presidential Medal of Freedom. In 1996, she was given honorary U.S. citizenship. She was the only the fourth person to ever receive that. And in 1977, or 1997, she won a Congressional Gold Medal, which I don't even know what that means. I don't either. Um, after she died in 1997, the process began towards canonizing, which is making her a saint, if people yep. don't know Catholicism, which I don't blame you. <laughs> um, so the second step is the process of beautification um oh. which is proving that her virtue was heroic so the the specification that i saw was not to prove that she had never done wrong because everyone is fallible because human is fallible but it was to prove that her intention and her virtue was that of you know god's intent basically right um the person who is doing and you have to have this step done before you can be canonized um, the person who was doing the investigation submitted 76 documents, totaling 35,000 pages, based on what? interviews with 113 witnesses, were asked to answer 263 questions. I thought Chaplin's 2,000 page with the I-file is wild. <laughs> uh, the process also requires documentation of a miracle from the prospective saint. Okay. So in 2002, the Vatican recognized a miracle performed when a tumor on the abdomen of Monica Becerra, an Indian woman, um, was healed when a locket containing Teresa's picture was applied to the tumor on her abdomen. Oh. According to Besra, um, a beam of light came from the picture and the cancer tumor was healed. Mm. Her husband disagrees. And, yeah, I was going to say. And some... <laughs> And some of the medical staff also agreed that conventional medicine removed her tumor. Her husband is quoted as saying, um, my wife was cured by the doctors and not by any miracle. The miracle love, is a hoax. We love him. Mm -hmm. Monica's medical records, including sonograms of the tumor, prescriptions, and notes from the doctor were all confiscated by Sister oh. Betta of the missionaries. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Convenient. Officials at the hospital where Besra had seeked treatment said that they were pressured to call her cure miraculous. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like the Catholic Church isn't insanely powerful or anything. 
Yep. Um, in 2000, the former West Bengal minister, Partho Day, ordered a review of Besser's medical records, and he agreed that there was nothing unusual about her illness or her cure based on her treatment. He also refused to give the Vatican the name of a doctor who would certify that it was miraculous healing. Mm. While going through steps for the canonization, the Vatican studied published and unpublished criticisms of her life and work. Christopher Hitchens and Chatterjee, um, who were both authors, who wrote um, very critical books about her, spoke at the tribunal. Allegations were raised and investigated, but the group found no obstacle to stop the canonization of Mother Teresa into a saint. Mm. On December 17th, 2015, Pope Francis recognized a second miracle attributed to her, the healing of a Brazilian man of his brain tumors back in 2000. Pope Francis canonized her on September 4th, 2016. Now, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. I'm ready. According to Mother Teresa, quote, love, to be real, has to hurt, end quote. This caused a craze of self-flagellation among the sisters that were part of the organization. I saw um, descriptions that it was either ropes or chains, depending on what sister was doing it. Um, The nuns of the congregation were also required to be cut off from newspapers, radio, and contact with friends outside of those associated with the congregation, which is way more strict than most convents are. Most convents at least allow you to communicate with your friends and relatives and stuff. They don't require, like, a complete cutoff from contact. Yeah. Wow. Um, And while there are some that probably a radio wouldn't be acceptable, newspapers and writings and books and things like that, I've never heard of a convent saying, like, you can't keep up with what's going on in the world. Like, that's insane to me. And for, like, what reason? Like, what is your your logic? Well, the logic is a lot of people feel that Mother Teresa was actually running a cult. We'll get into that. I mean, yeah, okay. An orphan who had been stricken with polio in the 1970s credited the missionaries of charity with saving his life, but in the same breath spoke about the deep psychological effects left by the brutal atmosphere. In a documentary series, Mother Teresa, For the Love of God, Dr. Jack Preger, who worked as a, quote, street physician um, in Kolkata, uh, brought him into contact with the organization sanitarium. Based on what I understand from street physician is that he was probably treating poor people who couldn't afford to actually go to like, a, even though he was a real doctor, like go to the hospital. So he's probably just walking through the streets treating you know minor problems and things like that making sure people have food and water you know getting antibiotics getting that kind of stuff uh, malaria treatment medication things like that um so he said quote the nuns were not delivering proper care needles were used over and over again oh oh god and they were blunt end quote oh god why According to Himley Gonzalez, a humanitarian who briefly volunteered with the missionaries of charity, go on to explain the situation a little bit further, saying, quote, Workers washed needles under tap water, then reused them. Medicine and other vital items were stored for months on end, expiring, and then were still applied sporadically to patients. Volunteers with little or no training carried out dangerous work on patients with highly contagious cases of tuberculosis and other life-threatening illnesses. The individuals who operated the charity refused to accept and implement medical equipment and machinery that would have safely automated processes and saved lives. End quote. Wow. 
It is starting to come to light that the nuns had insufficient practical knowledge in medicine and that there was even outright neglect behind this image of selflessness. That it wasn't just like they were doing the best that they could, but they didn't understand. There were allegations that Mother Teresa encouraged and embodied a pain cult version of Christianity. Who? A version that does not want to alleviate suffering, but instead feels that you can only truly be devout to Christ through experiencing pain as he did. According to one of the women who was close to Teresa, she can remember her saying, quote, Our calling is not necessarily to cure. It is to pass on the love of God to every human being in whom we see the suffering of Christ. Suffering shared with Christ's passion is a wonderful thing. End quote. No. Not. Nah. <laughs> the intention of these hospice care centers was to make people feel wanted and at peace with God, not to receive medical care. Hmm. In 1994, a British medical journal that, oh, I don't remember, I might have said that, it might have been a German medical journal, I might have transferred that information correctly, I think it was a German medical journal, called The Lancet, reported that there was nothing close to the treatments needed for the people in her care. So they just, like, absolutely did not have the equipment or knowledge necessary to be properly caring for the advanced illnesses that were there. In response to their criti- to all the criticism, Mother Teresa allegedly said, quote, There is something beautiful in seeing the poor accept their lot, to suffer like Christ's passion. The world gains much from their suffering. End no. Quote. No, Mother Teresa, get out of here. Despite there being some complaints about this mindset, they were quickly dismissed at the time as hearsay and heresy and didn't come to light because of the powerful organization of the Catholic Church backing the charity. Uh, there was also no sterilization process, which increased the rate of infection, which was obviously extremely dangerous to the people being treated for HIV and AIDS, who were already incredibly immunocompromised to begin with. Hmm. Um, there were also reports that the nuns working with patients weren't very skilled at helping patients who were coming to terms with death, that they didn't have very good bedside manner and like, you know, helping people through that very, those very difficult moments. Mm-hmm. Um, all this information paints a pretty clear picture that this wasn't done out of selflessness and kindness in her heart, but reflected more negative, reflected a more negative image of her trying to use the disadvantage to further her own ambitions. Right. While it wasn't an impoverished area of the world, and her first years getting everything set up I'm sure were very difficult, there wasn't a lack of funding, especially as time went on. Yeah. Mother Teresa reportedly brought in over $30 million in funding alone. Just her. Just her going and talking to people and meeting people. Yikes. However, despite this increase in funding, the conditions didn't improve. An example of this was that they refused to install water heaters in certain areas so people there would have to bathe in freezing water. The money didn't seem to go anywhere near the efforts of her organization. One volunteer even said, quote, Even when bread was over at the soup kitchens, none was bought unless it was donated. End quote. Wow. There was also a report that Teresa ran up an $800 grocery bill and then refused to get out of the line until someone else paid for it. (laughs) Which, like, man, I want to do that. Yeah. In 1991, a report estimated that only 7% of the total donations went into benefiting the people that were cared for. What's that 7% of, though? No one really knows. Oh, okay. Nirmala Joshi, the leader that succeeded Mother Teresa, says that the donations are countless, and the only one that actually knows the numbers is God. 
God knows he is our banker. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, Donald McIntyre went undercover as a volunteer and reported cases of neglect and even abuse. He report His report claimed that the mentally ill and children were often tied with rope or clothes so they could be fed or kept stationary. Teresa also didn't seem too particular on who she accepted donations from either, since she did accept donations from Ronald Reagan, the president at the time. Hmm. Reagan had allegedly orchestrated the mass murder of Catholic nuns and an archbishop in San Salvador during the Cold War. She also accepted donations and visited with Haitian dictator Jean-Claude Duvalier, who was later charged with crimes against humanity for his abuse of his own people. In footage released by 60 Minutes, Mother Teresa praised Duvalier's wife, saying that she had, quote, never seen the poor people being so familiar with their head of state as they were with her. It was a beautiful lesson for me, end quote. Wow. She also received $1.25 million from Charles Keating, one of the key figures in the 1980s savings and loan crisis, which cost American taxpayers $124 billion. Oh, that's nice. While he was on trial, Mother (laughs) Teresa wrote to the judge to ask for his clemency. Oh, of course. Uh, Citing that he's a good man and he donated with God in his heart and blah, 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 blah. Uh, One of the co-prosecutors of Keating reached out to Mother Teresa after he was convicted and pointed out that one of the people he had stolen from was a poor carpenter and asked how she felt about that. But he never got a response back. No, of course. Um, according to Mohan Bhagwa, the head of the Hindu nationalist group, quote, it's good to work for a cause with selfless intentions, but Mother Teresa's work had ulterior motives, which was to convert the person who was being served to Christianity. In the name of service, religious conversions were made, end quote. Gross. Australian feminist Germaine Greer called Mother Teresa a religious imperialist, to something that I hadn't really yeah. considered and then I yeah. was like, no, you know, the more I think about it, yeah, missionaries really do be like that, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, there's also very valid criticism that Teresa was prejudiced towards darker-skinned Indians and tried to civilize them with Christianity. No, people are going to be out there and they're going to be like, I've seen pictures of Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa is brown. So are a lot of other Indians and a lot of other Indians, not that she's Indian by blood, but a lot of Indians are still racist against Indians with darker skin tone. Yeah, I mean, it happens in in the black community as well. Yeah, Every single nationality, every single person of color, it is better to be white than it is whatever skin tone you naturally have. The closer you are to white, the more appealing it is. Mm -hmm. And so, and she's not Indian and actually Caucasian. Her brown skin comes from the Ottoman roots connecting her into the Middle Eastern and North African culture. She was born in Albania and Northern Macedonia. That's where her family comes from, which is Caucasian. Putting that out there. Brown people can be Caucasian too. (laughs) Yep. Um, So in an essay in the collection, uh, which I think that you would probably like to read sometime white women in radicalized spaces <laughs> historian vijay prashad said of mother Teresa, and this is a long quote so bear with me because i'm probably going to stumble my way through it okay because she's obviously a lot smarter than i am <laughs> so the quote is mother Teresa is the quintessential image of the white woman in the colonies working to save the dark bodies from their own temptations and failures 
The Euro-American dominated international media continue to harbor the colonial notion that white peoples are somehow especially endowed with the capacity to create in- sorry with the capacity to create social change. When non-white people labor in this direction, the media t- typically search for white benefactors or teachers, or else for white people who stand in the wings and direct the non-white actors. Black bodies cannot act on their own volition to stretch their own capacity, for they must wait. The media seem to imply for some colonial administrator, some technocrat from IBM or the IMF, tell them how to do things. When it comes to saving the poor, the dark bodies are again invisible, for the media seem to celebrate only the worn-out platitudes of such as Mother Teresa and ignore the struggles of those bodies for their own liberation. To open the life of someone like Mother Teresa to scrutiny, therefore, is always difficult. End quote. Yeah, I got nothing that's just accurate. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was a really interesting, um, like, comparing the the dark bodies, as she puts it, um, to actors being directed in a play and that they really don't have a choice where they're being directed to go because that choice Mm -hmm. has been removed from them. Um, Mother Teresa's work was part of a global enterprise for the alleviation of bourgeoisie guilt rather than a genuine challenge to those forces. Oh, sorry, this is the rest of her quote. I put it quotations and it was not done uh so the end of her quote i do apologize is mother Teresa's work was part of the global enterprise for the alleviation of bourgeois guilt rather than a genuine challenge to those forces that produce and maintain poverty yeah christopher hitchens would also report that mother Teresa encouraged members of her order to baptize dying patients without regard to the patient's religion oh get fucked Susan Shields, a former member of the organization, wrote that, quote, Sisters were to ask each person in danger of death if he wanted a ticket to heaven, end quote. Ew. Um, an affirmative reply was all that they needed. Uh, sorry, I did that again. I thought the quote was over and it wasn't starting that again susan shields a former member of the organization wrote that quote sisters were to ask each person in danger of death if he wanted a ticket to heaven an affirmative reply was to mean consent to back the sister would then pretend that she was cooling the patient's head with a wet cloth while in fact she was baptizing saying quietly the necessary words Secrecy was important so that it would not come to be known that Mother Teresa's sisters were baptizing Hindus and Muslims, end quote. And I've seen a bunch of people in different writings and stuff being like, meh, it's not a big deal. If they didn't believe in baptism, then it doesn't count. And I'm like, but it's still... It does. And it's still against <clears throat> their wishes. Yeah, it's not what they wanted and that's what counts. That is that is what is important. Yeah, like they're Muslims, they're Hindu, they're whatever religion that they are. And you're going with this idea that your religion is the right one, the only one, the blah, blah, blah one. What if you're fucking wrong? Right. Like, what if the Hindus had it right this whole time and you just damned all these people? Even though they're not really hell, so to speak. It's not the same. But regard, like, you know, or Muslims or things like that. Like, this is something where it's like when you, uh, I mean, it's, it's a little, maybe it's an extreme example. I don't know. But it's like when people say that it was like a rape or a sexual assault because they didn't have all the information. I can't remember. There's another word I want to use for that. But 
where it's like, you know, they they were agreeing something without understanding what they were agreeing to. And these are people who are literally dying. They're not thinking straight, you know, like yeah. I've, I've been around a couple of people like as they were in their like final hours and last days and they're not thinking straight. They're not yeah. able to make rational decisions or things like that. They're like talking about how it was living on a farm when they were a kid and how hard it was to get water and how thirsty they are because they don't think that they can get water because they're living on a farm again. Like, these aren't people that can make decisions about their religious preferences and to get baptized right before they die. Yeah, exactly. Of course, there's not much surprise here kind of rounding it out, uh, but Mother Teresa was anti-abortion and said of Bosnian women who had been raped by Serbs that were seeking abortions, quote, I feel the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion because it is a direct war, a direct killing, a direct murder by the mother herself, end quote. You know, not the actual war that was going on. That was definitely not the greatest destroyer of peace. Um, she was also anti-birth control but really no surprise there either. She's Catholic. You okay? And, and there's a lot of criticism about Mother Teresa because she was basically putting all of the people who had come to her for help and for care through pain and misery and basically torture with crude instruments and without the proper care that she needed. And I've seen some arguments that it's like some of the areas where she had these hospices and stuff, um, the analgesics or whatever were outlawed so she couldn't like give just give people morphine and like let them relax and not feel pain, which I do understand to an extent, but uh, Mother Teresa immediately at the sign of having a heart attack and heart problems went to First Nation countries and had surgery performed in hospitals in order to get a pacemaker installed to have her collarbone looked at, have all of these heart uh, surgeries and different things like that. These were happening in Italy and America and you know, first world countries, they were not happening in India in the slums where she was making these people stay without hot water and without proper medical care or even without people that actually gave a shit. So that's where a lot of the uh, hypocrisy for me comes in with Mother right. Teresa. And there's, I was reading some things that were saying like, she had so much money in a bank at one time that they were concerned if she were a ever able ever to pull money from that bank, that bank would have defaulted and closed. That's how much money she had in that bank. Oh, wow. And that they were just pulling nondescript amounts of money out and it was being spent on no one knows what, basically. Huh. So I'm assuming that it was all getting sent back to the Vatican. Yeah. And, uh squirreled away or used to buy more fancy rings for the pope yeah and like i think that's like a huge difference for me is that like like we were saying with with chaplin i don't i don't necessarily think he's a redeemable character i just think that he did some shitty things and you can look at his work and say there were valuable things you could take away from this work um and and that is what i think makes him complex is like how did how did a man who believed in such like high morals in in my opinion like the the demonization of of capitalism and things like that those are things that are important to me and that i i believe and so somebody who like that could also do these horrible things that are his, you know historically and 
in a modern sense not great yeah um and that that was what made him so cool. It's like because I want to like him is is basically what it is. And then I'm like, but I but I can't because you're you you did this. Whereas Mother Teresa is just like, what did you do? <laughs> Were you actually good? I mean, there there was uh like I said, I think that she went in to it with good intentions. But yeah. you know what they say about the road to hell, you know, like yeah. and so I think that she started getting notoriety she started getting money there were uh she asked for all of her like personal um papers and journals and stuff to be destroyed after she died which i think is really suspicious yeah um but some of them made it and like were were taken out before they could burn it and it talks about how she was like having a crisis of faith and she wasn't sure she believed anymore and this and that which i think is is fair for anybody to go through those like you know i always will say people are always growing and changing and learning more about themselves based on how the world is and so it's totally within the realm of reason to think that you know she was losing her faith or having a crisis of faith Mm -hmm. and that maybe that was what kind of pushed her into like well i can make money doing this and i'm still giving these people somewhere to be rather than being on the streets with no one looking after them you know and and i do think that there is some some amount of nobility in that idea of it's kind of like the leper colony that we talked about um in the aapi episode to a lesser extent because obviously you know criminalizing a disease is insane but um you know it gave them a place to go to be safe and to have a family and to have connections and to have people around them you know in in their last days years months however long they had well safe is relative but the other parts sure yeah but it would have been better than than these people who are in India who didn't have anywhere to go, had been turned away by their families, were going to just completely suffer in the streets alone. You know, it's one of those, like, you know, it's sometimes better to suffer in the company of others than it is to suffer in silence alone. Yeah. And, and, and like, equally, people would say, people argue for, for Chaplin and, like, champion him, saying, like, he came from a world where he was not raised in any reasonable fashion by his family and you could say that he had a little bit of that jackson michael jackson thing going on or like how much of a kid was he really like how how mentally advanced could or like emotionally advanced could he have been with nobody giving him the proper guidance as a kid and perhaps that was why he was so drawn to younger women because he never really had that opportunity to grow up himself yeah not not that I'm saying by any means that that makes it right, but there are people who will come in and say, look, like, yeah, it's some shitty stuff, but there's reasons for all of that. And as I said, like, no amount of trauma or, you know, anything will ever excuse you for doing bad behavior. It's just a reason for that bad behavior. Yeah. So potentially, I don't know. Yeah. I don't I don't think in either way we're coming out of this feeling very good about our topics. No. And I mean I knew <laughs> I I had gathered a lot of um and I really just scratched the surface on Mother Teresa and the fucked up shit that she did. And, yeah. you know, I was going through I was looking for quotes of people who had been there or quotes of people who had worked there um trying to get an idea of what it was like especially from the indian perspective Mm -hmm. looking in 
Um, and the fact that she is very much a white savior character. Oh, yeah. And, um, there's just a lot of sketchy shit that happened and a lot of money that is unaccounted for. And, um, she was definitely hanging out with some questionable people. Didn't seem to have much of a problem with it. But anyway, thanks for joining us today as we discuss these alleged heroes who did horrifying things. We hope that you'll reach out to us with your own experiences. We want your stories, your questions, and your feedback. Send us an email at strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com. If you're sending a listener story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so we can sort through those a little more easily. Did you know anybody who was part of the Missionaries of Charity or have any stories or experiences um, with her hospices? Let me know. I would love to hear some firsthand accounts. And are there any other like heroic people that you can think of you'd want us to cover? Because I was I was genuinely surprised. My, I, oh my gosh, I was surprised finding that um, W.E.B. Dubois had connections to the Nazis. Yeah. And was sympathetic to Nazis. And I was like, Jesus Christ, you're like the civil rights guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and then so, there's, you know, um, was it Coco Chanel? Elvis liked. Yeah. And I mean, there's, a, there's so many. There's, like, so if you have any you'd like us to cover or particularly interested in let us know uh you can find us on instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast or on our personal accounts Roya rampage and calamity casey you can find us on twitter at underscore strange unusual and at calamity casey and at Roya rampage we're on facebook just search for the strange unusual podcast and if you'd like you can find us over on patreon.com slash strange unusual um we do a lot of cool stuff over there we have a pod we have a podcast yeah we do we have a discord that you can join um and we have we have um bonus episodes that you can listen to uh and should be coming out with more soon i have three that have not been recorded yet because we cannot find time to record uh (laughs) we do polls uh try to do those monthly bases so that you guys can tell us what you want to hear about so get on over to patreon.com slash strange unusual and if you cannot afford to support us financially right now which we totally get especially here in the u.s things have been absolutely bonkers um we just ask that you like share subscribe uh you know review let us know what you think uh interact with us on social media share us with your friends share us with your enemies and uh share us with the guy who talks about how great charlie chaplin was on the bus that you ride to work that's a very specific guy that i would suggest you avoid if you are under the age of 18 yeah definitely (laughs) anyway well thanks i learned things i did too i learned that charlie chaplin fucking sucks (laughs) (laughs) like i again I, I put him on par with my with my Michael Jackson because I love my Michael Jackson music and I can like Charlie Chaplin films and understand that he was just a bad man. Yep. <laughs> yep. So if you if you too can enjoy problematic media and understand that there's a difference between liking a problematic thing or liking a, a product versus a problematic person, thanks for being here. <laughs> All right. I hope my voice will financially recover from these episodes. <laughs> Me too. I We definitely could have split this into two. All right. We're at two hours. Yep. (laughs) Oh, well. Bye. Long episode.